0: Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, read from the King James Version of the Bible. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The word of the Lord.
1: What does that first Christmas, the very first Christmas, What does it tell us about God? It tells us two things. God enters the mess and God is found in the humility. I'm guessing nearly all of you have favorite Christmas movies. Maybe you've watched some of them recently or you're planning on watching them tonight or tomorrow. And whether they're the old black and white movies like It's a Wonderful Life or more recent ones like Home Alone or Elf, whatever the movie is that you wanted to see or you've already seen, what gets us with these movies is character and setting. There's usually a character that we buy into. Whether it's George or Buddy or Marv or somebody that we buy into, we're like, we really love this character. And we love the setting. It's it's Bedford Falls, right? Or it's, um, it's Manhattan in December. Or it's some beautiful neighborhood north of Chicago with the snow everywhere and houses perfectly lit up. In each one of these Christmas movies, there's conflict and fun Well, not always fun, but a lot of conflict that has to be resolved. And what happens in every single one of these Christmas movies is that there's resolution at the end. Kevin's family comes home. Buddy saves Christmas and his dad. George finds out that no one is a failure who has friends. And in the middle of that resolution, or at the end of that resolution, we have this warm feeling, this happy feeling. The Hallmark Channel has made millions off of this over the past 10 years, ending the same way every time. I love Christmas movies, but they are not what the first Christmas was like at all. The first Christmas was actually a train wreck of a place, of a thing. It was a total mess. If you go back to the book of Luke, which is where we had the reading earlier today, the recording there of what happened leading up to the birth is angels show up. Now, angels show up to Zechariah and Joseph and Mary and these shepherds, and the response of everyone who saw these angels was that they were sore afraid. That means completely terrified, the scariest thing they've ever seen. They're completely troubled and uncertain. What is happening here? Why is God showing up in the form of these warrior angels, these divine beings? And the message that God is going to come comes to a woman, Mary, who's going to be the mom. And what do we know about the mom? Well, she's an unwed teenage girl. She's an unwed teenage girl who is told by the Lord she's going to be pregnant. So there's fear and scandal and shame. In that culture, she could have been executed for infidelity. Her husband should have shoved her out. Her family could have excommunicated her, pushed her off. She would have been starving to death, begging. All of that is inside of her head, along with just, even if she's accepted by her family and her husband, there's going to be scandal and shame following her, her whole life. And on top of that, this message from the Lord says, this baby is not going to be a normal baby. And yet, Luke, the historian who writes the Gospel of Luke, gives us an account of the birth of Jesus that's very matter of fact. Let me read it back to you as it was just read to us. In verses four through seven, we get this. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn." It sounds so neat and tidy. It's very simple, right? But think about some of the things that are stated in here. They had to go to Bethlehem from Nazareth, which is 80, 90 miles. They were poor, so they went on foot, and she's six, seven, eight, nine months pregnant, sleeping out in the field, and when they arrive, she's ready to have the baby, but there's no place for them in the homes of their extended family, their distant cousins. And so some of their distant cousins are like, well, we do have a shed, or our garage is really nice. The dog sleeps there, but he won't bother you while you're having the baby. (laughs) I mean, think about that. That's essentially what she's being told. She's 14, 15, about to have a baby, far from home, exhausted, completely worn out. She's having a baby in a stable, where other animals are. And when she has the baby, she lays him in a manger, which is a feeding trough. There's the dog bowl, just lay the baby there. And I love how Luke just says it so matter-of-factly there that she brought forth her firstborn son. I don't think he's ever seen a baby delivered. (laughs) She just brought him forth, she was delivered. Look, I was excited to be present at the birth of my first child until I was present at the birth of my first child. <laughs> it is not a calm and tidy thing. I was ready to be there until it was happening, and then I wished I wasn't. It was scary and painful and messy and bloody, and it's, it's not an easy thing. You're not sure how it's all going to go. It gets, it gets overwhelming at times, and it's a mess. So there she is, this mother, giving birth to the, in a very natural way. It's a total mess of a thing. And the very next thing is visitors show up. And some of you are weird and like visitors to show up right after you've had a baby, but the rest of you who are normal realize you're not ready to see visitors right away. Because when the visitors come, if they come right after you've had the baby, everyone looks terrible. Everyone does. The dad is pale because he's just been a part of that. The mom looks like she's been in a fight. And the baby looks like an alien. And then visitors come. And not just any average visitors, like, hey, your family are coming. It says that the shepherds came. Do you know who the shepherds were? They were the low outcasts of society. 200 years later, rabbinic writings, Jewish writings, said that you should not buy something off of a shepherd because it was probably stolen. And if a shepherd falls into a pit, it's okay to leave him there. I mean, really? Really? The dude falls into a pit and it's like, oh, it's a shepherd. Good luck, dude. You walk away. The very first people to show up are the most crass, low caste of society. It's like you just had a baby and then the knock on the door at the hospital is the construction workers across the way that said, hey, we heard you had a baby, can we come in and see? And then in Matthew 2, It records a year after Jesus' birth about that King Herod finds out that a baby has been born in Bethlehem that some of these guys from afar think is the Messiah. So what does Herod do? He has every boy under a certain age slaughtered. Mary and Joseph have to flee. They're refugees. They flee on foot to Egypt. That was not easy to do. They could have starved to death along the way. They had no rule of law to protect them. Jesus spent his life from before he was born to the end of his days as a homeless refugee, from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth to Capernaum. So think about the images we have of first Christmas. The images we have from Renaissance paintings are of nativity scenes and a Madonna and child, and they're very neat and tidy and beautiful pictures. In the, the nativity scenes, the, the animals are clean. Like they've been to the pet spa, they're nice and clean and they don't smell. The shepherds look like friends of theirs. Everyone's glowing, nobody has had a baby any time near this, this painting being done. And then you go to the Madonna and child, the mother and child, and there are symbolic reasons for some of what's going on here, but it's a European idealization of beauty. Everyone is glowing and perfect. The baby doesn't cry. This is nothing like the birth that Mary was dealing with. The true first Christmas was more like a refugee fleeing with a child, a refugee exhausted, holding on to her baby, completely scared, needy, unsure of where the next meal is going to come from. Everything about it was dangerous and a mess. At that first Christmas, God entered the mess of life. He entered the mess of our lives, of humanity. And that means he comes for each of us in all of our mess. In fact, it's easier to receive him when you realize that you're a mess. And that's hard for us. We are success-driven people. We're trying to pursue athletic or academic or relational success. We're trying to get into the college, have the best career, have the most money. We want to be on top. We're success driven and we're image conscious. We're always worried about how people are perceiving us. Our social media profiles are perfectly curated to give brand Johnny or brand whoever that perfect look. Look around tonight, don't actually do it, but if you looked around tonight, what you would see is a bunch of very well-dressed, together families that are completely happy. Well, at least they're well-dressed. No one is doing well right now. We're on year two of COVID. The most recent spike is causing uncertainty. That uncertainty has been with us month after month after month. I've noticed a a COVID malaise on many of us that are just unsure about stepping out into things. So we just don't want to try something new. We're not venturing. There's a pall of uncertainty that weighs on all of us. And all of us over the past two years have lost something. Every one of us. The result is that we are more defensive and fragile, more easily brought to anger, or we're lonely, depressed, losing hope. We are not well. Maybe five or six of you are doing well. The rest of us are not well. And we need help. That first Christmas tells us we actually need more than help. At Christmas, God entered the mess of humanity. Poverty, weakness, violence, and ultimately death. Which means he wants to enter your mess too. God doesn't wait for you to get right, to clean up, to be ready, to be morally ready, to be kind of figured out, to have your life in order before you can meet him. He comes for us in the midst of the struggle of life, in the midst of the things we're ashamed about. He wants to meet us even when we're doubting. Pastor Tim Keller wrote, people who are saved are not those who have risen through their own ability to be what God wants them to be. Salvation comes to those who are willing to admit how weak they are. That first Christmas tells us that God enters the mess and God is found in humility. He enters the mess and he's found in humility. But at the beginning of the story that was read, Luke 2, verse 1, we read, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This tells us a few things. One, some guy named Augustus is the Caesar. Caesar basically means emperor or ruler. Caesar Augustus took over after his father, Julius Caesar. He took over the Roman republic and he expanded by violence he expanded by violence the roman empire to make it the empire he was the one who established what was known as the pax romana the peace over the whole earth it was really the peace under the thumb of caesar he was powerful enough to control princes and kings he called himself quote the divine savior who has brought peace to the world He controlled princes and kings, and he even controlled peasants who lived thousands of miles away. No one could say no to his decrees. Israel sat under that emperor. And at that time, they wanted God to show up. They wanted God to show up and send a savior king like Caesar, powerful. But when God did show up, he didn't come as a Caesar. He came through the womb of a scared and impoverished teenage girl. He was an actual baby. When God came, hear that, he was an actual baby. Weak, helpless, and totally dependent. The Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the judge of every single person ever on the face of the earth, the one who brings up kings and brings them down, the Lord God Almighty. That God, as Philip Yancey wrote, emerged in Palestine as a baby who could not speak or eat solid food or control his bladder, who depended on a teenage girl for shelter, food, and love. It seems that God arranged the most humiliating circumstances possible for his entrance. About two weeks ago, I got to hold a newborn baby. I was spending time with our new friends, Atif and Aziza, and went with Atif to their apartment. He welcomed me in, I got to meet Aziza, and then the baby, Katayun, this little girl who's only about a week old. And of course, what I, what I did when I saw the baby is I, I, I just blurted out, can I hold the baby? Before thinking what I was saying. Because I'm scared to death of infants. I was afraid to hold my own kids for the first six months. And that's that's no joke. When my first baby was born, I'm like, they're really fragile. In fact, did you know this, that babies at that age have no muscle tone? I'm not sure they have muscles. It's not clear that they even have bones. If you really actually hold one, they're just all flop, and you have to hold their head up. It's like just a mushy thing. (laughs) So I'm like holding the baby. I think I got this right. Oh, yeah, I got to hold the head because they can't hold their heads up. They're like 10-pound living Beanie Babies. They're heavy, they're floppy, and they cry. They're totally dependent. If I was forced to wrestle everyone in here individually, I would lose to like four-fifths of you. Even some of you who are younger, smaller, I I have bad knees, I would tear an ACL, but I am 100% confident I could beat an infant. They are powerless, they are weak, they're floppy. So think about this. Think about what that first Christmas tells us about God. You know, if you want to know God, know if God exists, know the Lord God creator of the universe, don't look within yourself. You're not going to find him there. And I would say don't, you're not going to primarily find him in the philosophers and theologians, these ideas about God. I love them. I read them all the time. I could discuss and argue with you about those things, but that's not where God chose to reveal himself to you. If you want to know God, look in the manger and on the cross. There is where the God of the universe fully revealed himself. In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's nothing about Jesus that isn't a full and complete revelation of who God is. And on Christmas, that first Christmas, God said, here I am. And then he cried and wanted some milk and then needed his diaper changed and then fell asleep. The God of the universe could not hold up his own head. What does this tell us about the nature of God? If you're struggling with doubts, if you're skeptical, if you're not sure if you believe in God, uh, if you if you have questions about God, even if you are wondering why, why is of your own life? Why is my life the way it is? Why am I the way that I am? Why has my life not turned out the way I wanted it to? Or questions about God? How can a good God allow X, Y, Z? I don't understand. It would be easier to believe in God if you could understand how it all works out. But you will never understand how it all works out. Mary did not understand how it was all going to work out. She had to trust. Betsy Child Howard wrote, Mary didn't have to see how God would work out his promises to her in order to believe that he would. She trusted God. She trusted God because she knew Him, which means she had a relationship with God. Do you know what a relationship is with anybody? It involves honesty and trust, openness and trust. Whether it's a spouse or a friend or a sibling, it involves openness and trust. If you're doubting and unsure Because of life, if you're struggling, if you're hopeless, if you want to know if there is a God, look to Jesus. Get to know Jesus. See if you can trust him. In my own life, here's what I've found. When things are not going well, it is not all the philosophy and theology I've studied that provide all the answers. I I can give you the answers, but in my own life, that's not where I turn when things are going poorly. I just go to Jesus. I turn back to him, and I know I can trust him. I know that he understands that anything I've gone through, he has endured. He has been rejected. He has suffered. He's been misunderstood. He was crucified. In the end, that's what you have to do anyhow. Belief in God is not a, can I believe in that thing, that idea? It's actually, what do you do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the baby in the manger, the man on the cross? God. At that first Christmas, God comes in total humility and he offers salvation to the humble and the messed up. Jesus is God in person, inviting us to know him and to trust him. Let us pray. God, you came at Christmas to reveal yourself and your love for us. In this fallen and broken world, we live messed up lives. You humbled yourself to lift us up may we come to know you as you were revealed in the manger and on the cross this Christmas and forever. Amen.